This is a reading I did at the Mysterious Bookshop in New York City on May 6, 2016. The Mysterious Bookshop is at 58 Warren Street and online at mysteriousbookshop.com. They have great events, awesome books, and more stock than you could ever imagine. Thanks for coming by SethHarwood.com. If you haven't checked out the new site yet, check it out. Here is the reading. So I'm going to read uh, a little bit from two sections of the book. There's basically two um, narrators to this book. One is a woman, Clara Donner, who is a police investigator in San Francisco. They don't call them detectives there. For a long time, they were calling them inspectors. And now they started calling them investigators or sergeants. So it's different uh, terminology. So she's an investigator in San Francisco. And then the other character is Father Michael, who I will read in a little bit. And then we'll do some questions, which will be awesome. All right. Uh, So, chapter six. Our week on call stretched from one Sunday midnight to the next, with Hendricks and me as the primaries and investigators Jeff Lund and Andrew Peters as secondaries. Accordingly, the next call due to come in would be theirs. On Monday, Hendricks and I worked Piper and our other cases hard, trying to get anything we could to move forward. I didn't get out of work early enough to hit the courts. I should mention this one has some good basketball scenes in it from a, a woman's perspective. I had a really cool um, intern last year that was my research assistant who was working at Homeland Security and played Division Two basketball and was like, awesome. So she gave me a lot of good information for this. Thanks to Amy. Um, I didn't get out of work early enough to hit the courts, though I thought about getting back and maybe seeing Alan, hoping we'd meet again. The best I could do for my sweat was a long run on a treadmill down at the Hall of Justice. The next call, late Monday night, should have gone to London Peters by all rights, but when they found a stack of pictures at the scene, ones of young girls in bondage situations, just like Piper's, they called us. It was close to midnight when they did, and I was home watching SportsCenter, trying to drown out the images in my head those of incredible athletes doing amazing things. These were far more appealing, and what's more, I could root for a team over the long term, even believe in it, oh, this is, even believe in it, but have no real consequences if they didn't win. Given that the closest basketball team was the Golden State Warriors, I was used to this brand of disappointment. But maybe this year there were hope, there was hope. Curry and Thompson, the Splash Brothers, were making me a believer. I knew Andre Iguodala would be big for them down the road. On the flip side, my hometown Knicks were even worse, ruined by Carmelo Anthony and his shot-chucking ball hoggery. They were on a straight shot to the bottom. Page 23, if you guys want to just double-check. I didn't just make that up right now. It had been six months since I broke up with my last boyfriend, Tim O'Malley, a good cop who wanted more than what was in my pants. A life together, a house in the suburbs, kids, everything. More than I could give him. We broke up. What could I say? I wasn't ready to settle down, wasn't good at commitment. Never had been, except to my job. All this to say it wasn't a big deal when the call came. I was happy to get out and away from my life, to have something to focus on other than finding a way to sleep. I was almost happy to hear about Doug Farrow, 
resident of the Tenderloin, murdered in his bathroom with a piece of his sink. When they called, I went because I knew something serious was up, something I wanted in on. Hendricks came along because that's what a good partner does. He picked me up at my place, and we stopped at an all-night convenience store that would brew me a fresh pour-over. I let myself enjoy the smell of the coffee, knowing I was on the job and that my hours weren't my own for a while. Hendricks bought a Monster, one of the new breed energy drinks. Who, know, who knows what they'll realize those do to you in five years. They'll probably find himself sterile, which he might not even mind. Cousin Aaron! Woo! Everybody's his cousin Aaron. <laughs> Legendary cousin, ski instructor, and major player in the insurance industry. Yeah. Don't skimp out on the free booze. Jason needs a beer in the front. My friend Jason here needs a Thanks. Uh... When we got on the scene, both uniforms out front looked more peaked than they had at Piper's, like they wanted no part of what they'd seen inside. I recognized one of them as a friend of Tim's. He ducked my glance, something I was probably due. Because I didn't want to sit down, make nice, and play house, something was wrong with me. That's how Tim's friends saw it, anyway. Even though they could ride any tail they liked, some of the old double standards never died. Going up to Pharaoh's place, another walk-up, Hendricks asked how I was feeling about my love life. I feel just fine about it, thanks. And how about you? Judging by that slick tie, you're probably coming straight from a hot date. As a matter of fact, I... I could hear the smile in his voice. Didn't have to turn around to see him beaming. That I'd gone the whole ride without mentioning his $60 tie has, had, gotten, had likely been driving him nuts. Save it, I said. We were at the apartment and I walked in. Doug Farrow's studio was typical of the Tenderloin and its inhabitants. Dirty and dark, drug paraphernalia tossed around, stains on the walls. All it missed from the street outside was a homeless guy in a wheelchair, begging for quarters, scooting himself in front of cars to collect pity or insurance claims, whichever paid out faster. That guy totally exists. <laughs> in a corner of the room was a mini fridge with, and a hot plate. Barely enough, to set up, barely enough of a setup to make a decent bowl of ramen. From the cotton ball, syringe, and burned spoon on the coffee table, though, I could see all Pharaoh had been cooking lately was heroin. He hadn't had any girls up here in a while. Getting hooked on smack can have that effect. Even the sex additions fall away in deference to the bigger need. Pharaoh's pictures were strewn across his small desk in a mess. They were close enough to the ones we'd seen at Piper's, but all the same... London Peters could have at least waited around for us to show before taking off. I flipped through a few of the shots, planning to spend more time on them later, comparing the poses and kinds of knots, looking for the cuts and bruises to tell stories that made sense. Patterns, predilections, profiles. That's what I wanted, what I hoped to find. We have any way of knowing if one of these went missing? No one answered me. A thin mattress rested on the floor in one corner, it's nice to see you guys. I'm glad we should hang out like this more often. <laughs> Next time in East Hampton. Um, a thin mattress rested on the floor in one corner. A single grungy pillow and a fuzzy fleece blanket shoved out of the way. Someone had opened a window to let some of the stink out. This place was even mustier than Piper's. Don't these guys ever open windows? Apparently not. 
Marlene Ibaka walked in from the small bathroom, smiling, enjoying a nasty late-night crime scene as much as I. I raised my coffee to toast her. Don't you ever sleep? Not at home, she said. The husband and kids take care of that. So I just stay on. You know, work, work, work. That's because you married the wrong Ibaka. If you'd gone with Serge instead of his distant cousin, Stefan, you'd be made in the shade right now. Aye, aye, sir. She tipped an imaginary hat at me. Our joke that she could have married Serge Ibaka, the forward for Oklahoma City with an eight-figure salary, should have gotten old by now, but somehow it never did. Hendricks cleared his throat. You spinsters speak for yourselves. I had a hot date tonight. Dragged myself away from a fine woman to be up here. He puffed out his chest. Ibaka flipped up his new tie. Its gold and blue diamonds were fancier than his usual. This one even had texture. Must have been going well, too, she said, for you to be out this late. I said, rub it in. Fine. But it's better if you give up some details for when we fantasize about it later. I raised my eyebrows and he actually blushed. Hendrix smiled. So pretty, my dear. I had an additional line in there about her masturbating and I cut it out. Sorry. <laughs> Ibaka and I laughed. We off she offered me a knuckle bump and I gave it. He said, we got a body here or what? Oh, now he wants to get busy. Oh, we know he already did that. We laughed again, but then calmed it down when we saw Hendrix's face. I almost felt bad for him. At the same time, if you couldn't laugh on this job, then what did you have left? In here, Ibaka. In here. Ibaka stepped into the bathroom, a small enclosure that contained the place's lone sink, as well as a toilet and shower. Doug Farrow, the victim, was stark naked, his legs spread out in front of him. He sat in the sink, which had been knocked off the wall and was now on the floor. The pipes above his head were shut off now, but enough water had spewed to soak through, the through his floor, through the apartment below, and to the shower stall of the apartment downstairs from that, where someone had reported the problem. Other than his pale, water-soaked, naked self, the most disgusting feature of Pharaoh's corpse was his face. I didn't need to see the faucet fixture to deduce what the perp had used to beat it in. What was left resembled slices of ham sandwich, flaps of white bread skin so swollen they'd pass for wonder, and pink, shiny meat underneath. A complete mess. Lovely. Hendrix, snap a picture of that to bring back to your date. This'll get her going. He pushed past me into the alcove, dutifully raising his digital camera to get so shots of the remains. Then he stopped and whistled. Look at the cock on this one, Donner. You see that? He pointed. Even pickled, it's got to be an eight-incher. I cringed and looked away from it, but he'd returned the favor. Now I was uncomfortable. Always with the cock size, Hendrix. Still hoping to find someone smaller than yourself. Just the opposite, actually. I mean, I cut him off with my hand. The idea of talking about his junk was more than I could take. Just take the pics, all right? You can compare measurements later. He laughed as he got back to snapping. The faucet fixture leaned against the base of the toilet. It had a flat base and jagged remnants of blood-caked caulk around its edge. The spout made a workable handle, but the uneven weight of the thing would make it difficult to swing with force. This was a crime of pure anger, unlike the calculated torture and patience we had seen at Piper's. This time our perp had barely thought about what to use. It all felt different too dissimilar from the scene at Piper's. I think London Peters might have roped us in on something, I said. Other than the old pictures, this looks like a different M.O. All comes out in the wash cycle, Donner. 
Calls all even out in the end. This, Hendrix's constant refrain for anything that seemed unfair, was the odd element of Zen, dating back to before he started AA. I thought about the sink, wondering what it would take to break that fixture off, guessing a guy would have to be pretty strong to do it, kill a man that way. Back in the apartment, I stepped toward a window and took a deep breath. The smell of sweat woke me back to the job. I slurped my coffee, wishing it were hotter, stronger, wanting more. Then Ibaka was at my side, snapping off her plastic gloves. Don't like that business about a dead man's penis, sister. Partner like Hendrix, you ever think about reporting his ass for harassment? I laughed. That, that would be funny. She shook her head, realizing the absurdity of the concept in our work environment. Any report would be a joke. Not only would it go nowhere, but it would be worse for my career than for his. Come on, I said. It's all for show, to impress you. He's actually a really sweet guy. Sure he is. Sweet on you. I gave her a wry smile. We might have had it coming. Then we both laughed, the best medicine of all. You want to look at the pictures? She pointed to the desk. I guess it's that time. That's the Donner chapter. This is a character named uh, Father Michael, who's the other um, narrator in the book. The audiobook is really good if you guys happen to check it out. It's done by professionals. The first time I've had an audiobook done by professionals, and they got a woman and a man, and they did a really good job. I listened to it in the car some. It's good. It's like the first time I've ever experienced my book a book of mine as a reader because not reading it but actually listening to it really feels like it's a book and then you can see what's going on it's good um chapter nine excuse me i lay awake at three fifty-seven a.m listening to her breath longing to touch her in ways i never would protector savior absolver these were the roles i played for her in the name of our lord but lover that would never be under the bedsheets, I allowed myself one touch. I brought my fingers along the length of her thigh, hip to knee, not even. Stopped myself inches from her knee, just touching with the pads of my first fingers. Just two, the softness of her skin. In the dim dawn light, I saw her side move as she inhaled, lowering as she let go, her soft sounds. I allowed myself one long touch, put my palm against her side where she felt warm, this, in the night, was where I committed my own sin. I wanted to believe she liked it. My hand burned. I felt the fire of my own urges, more than I could take. The cold floor shocked my bare feet when I pushed myself out of bed on the opposite side. I wanted to come around and watch her face as she slept, but couldn't risk waking her. Instead, I moved to the sink, where I splashed cold water on my face and under my arms. I knew the movies were men like me, self-punished with whips and straps, flagellating their backs. Silly. Why would I want to do that when the streets beckoned with a wealth of sinners waiting to be claimed in his name? Outside on Larkin, I headed north, into the heart of the city at its worst. At this time of night, I passed addicts nodding on the concrete, bodies laid flat. Beyond them walked the last peddlers of physical sin. Those two broke without a home to go back to, barely standing in the light for the last hopes of a trick that might pay what they needed to cop. He was in the middle of all this, out here for me to find. Emily had given me one final name. 
the one I wanted most. I knew where to find him. Her intrusion, her instructions were specific. Third floor in the back, the door wouldn't have a lock. This was where he would be. Taking this route, I saw the city's worst. The smells, the faces, the questions. They asked for money, even knowing he had a house where they might go to be helped and fed. But not these. They didn't come for absolution, only recognized me as a black shape passing at 4 a.m. They had no want of change or saving, death their only end. I stopped at one I couldn't pass, a man, a black man with foam at his mouth and an unshaved chin, holding his hand out. His clouded eyes didn't even recognize me from his meals. Quarter? Dollar? he asked. You, I said quietly. I pushed him back against a building with my hand, close enough to get his smell. He hadn't bathed in weeks. Absolution in the face of our Lord. Do you accept it? What, man? Why are you coming up on me? He tried to raise his arms, but I already had both his wrists. What do you want? I asked him. Do you want to be saved in the eyes of the Lord and live in heaven? What are you talking about? What is this? He struggled to break my grip, but couldn't. Not only was he weak, but he was undernourished as well. He couldn't do a thing. I can offer you absolution right now for a price. Do you take it, or do you choose to stay in this sinful place? No, fuck no. What the shit you saying? He pulled his head back and angled his face away, trying to see me more clearly through the sides of his eyes. Who knows what he saw? In all likelihood, he hadn't seen clearly in years. I used my left hand to hold his wrists. With my right, I drew the knife. A sliver of streetlight gleamed against its blade, and he saw this. Suddenly, his vision cleared. What you? One chance, old man. Don't ask me why I'm giving it to you, but I am. One chance to be absolved of all your sins. How is? How can you? I take them on as my own, my son. Send you to heaven for eternity to live in his presence among angels. He didn't respond. I slid the knife's tip down his jacket, slicing fabric. He shook his head, did his best to push me off. This time I let him. He danced away down the wall, screaming no over and over. No one bothered to notice. For all they knew, he was just howling at the night, seeing things, imagining ghosts. Then he fixed me with the clearest stare he could muster. Clarity of vision I had not seen in some time, from anyone. And he said, I choose this earth and this life. This is where I'm going to stay. Your decision. I turned away. Perhaps if he had chosen absolution, it would have changed all that came after. Kept me away from the pimp. Saved us all. But he did not. The sinners chose their sins. The path toward face presenting itself daily and lying untaken. Everyone had free will upon his earth. Everyone paid. Thanks. Thanks.